1: the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
2: I have often wondered what it would be like to be a man. I have occasionally suspected that my whole life would have been a whole lot easier had I been born male rather than female, aside from my complete and utter lack of sports acumen. I say this not because I question whether or not I have more testosterone than I really should have as a woman, because I think I actually do, but rather because it seems a lot easier to be a man in the working world and to have it all, so to speak. I also say this because when I'm being bossy, I wouldn't have to worry that I'm being perceived as bitchy. When I'm moody, I wouldn't have to worry about being thought of as premenstrual. And when I'm strong, I wouldn't have to worry about being considered overly aggressive. Us women have to worry about these things, and frankly, men simply don't. I grew up in a house where both of my parents worked. In fact, for many years, during my mother's second marriage, she was the only one that did work. When I thought about what I wanted to be when I grew up, I just assumed that I would work. Having a family and a house in the suburbs did not even register in my fantasies of adulthood. My idea of the future was always about a career, financial independence, and self-expression. My choices never included being a mother. At least they didn't until I hit 40 and worried that if I didn't make a move soon, I would never be able to be a mom. It seems unfair that we girls have a built-in expiration date to have biological children, and as I approached the finish line to my maternal window, I found out that once again, given the choice, I didn't want to go to the extreme lengths that would require for me to actually have children. I often joke now how much easier it would be for me to have a wife, and I still joke about it, but now I wish I didn't have to joke. It is hard to do it all when you work 60 hours a week, and while I adore what I do, it would be nice every once in a while if someone else could pick up the dry cleaning or buy all the pet food I need for my four furry friends. But in the grand scheme of things, I do love being a woman mostly because I like the clothes and the shoes and the makeup, being allowed to cry at sappy movies, and being allowed to watch sappy movies without fear of being a sissy. But I also love being bossy and strong and decisive. And I love other women that are like that, too. My good friend Stephen Hinton sent me a link today to an article in the New York Times about what is now being referred to as girl crushes. Apparently, this is a new phrase that many women use in conversation, post on blogs, and read in magazines. It refers to a fervent infatuation that one heterosexual woman develops for another woman who may seem impossibly sophisticated, gifted, beautiful, or accomplished. And while a girl crush is, by its informal definition, not sexual in nature, the feelings that it triggers, excitement, nervousness, a sense of novelty, are very much like those that accompany a new romance. Stephen sent me this link because of my own admittance to a fervent infatuation I have on my friend Emily. What is interesting for me is that this crush is all about what I love most about women and being a woman, the ability that we have now to be both beautiful and accomplished with and for each other. Maybe it is with these new types of relationships we can redefine what it means to have it all. In the meantime, while we may still have difficulties having it all, I think it's nice to know that we can be all, albeit with some strong stereotypes still to combat. But as Shelley Lake once said, well-behaved women rarely make history. Well, I say this, here's to being bad. Today's show is all about being bad, but it is quite ironically showcasing the talents of six very bad boys. This is the continuation of our most popular show of last season, Bad Boys of Design, but with a fresh roster of bad boys. Let me introduce you to the lovely gentlemen on today's show. Rodrigo Corral, born and raised in New York, was a valuable member of his high school basketball team until he defected from the sporting life for art school. After graduating with a BFA from the School of Visual Arts, Rodrigo went on to become an art director at Doubleday Books. Since leaving Doubleday in January of 2002, he has been running his own studio where he works with clients in music, theater, and hospitality, along with those in his first love of books. Step Inside Design Magazine calls Mark English the Johnny Cash of the AIGA, referring to him as teacher, preacher, shaman, showman. The 20th anniversary of How Magazine listed him as one of 20 designers we'd like to have a beer with, and in hyping the book Inspirability, tossed around the phrases luminary and design superstar when referring to English. He, however, only believes half of it. Tan Lee has more than 15 years' experience in the communications design industry, Prior to joining Wong Duty, love the name, as Creative Director of Design and Brand Development, Tan was Creative Director at Young and Rubricam Brands, a Senior Design Director at Landor Associates, a Partner at Pop Interactive Agency, and a Co-Founder of Grip Design Studio. Tan is also an author on the design blog, Speak Up. Bennett Peji is the Commissioner of Arts and Culture for the City of San Diego and an AIGA Fellow. His firm, Bennett Pagy Design, specializes in urban and district branding, he is a founding board member and regent of the Baja California Missions Foundation, founded to renovate and preserve the historic missions in Mexico. Felix Sockwell is a transplanted New Yorker, happily married and living a somewhat normal life, interesting to hear what his definition of normal is, in Maplewood, New Jersey. He co-founded the Brand Integration Group, better known as BIG, in 1997, the next year he began a career as an illustrator and freelance identity designer and since then he has managed to piss off a stadium full of boost up art directors and last but certainly not least John Zapolsky's work has helped people from nonprofits, startups and Fortune 500 firms better understand and engage their customers and more clearly envision the future prior to starting MIG John headed design practice development for Yahoo and helped found the Institute for Information Architecture whew Welcome, gentlemen.
3: Thank you. Thank
2: Thank you for being on Design Matters. And so I have to ask you all first, and I should probably ask you these all questions alphabetically. Um, Who's your favorite female designer? (laughs) Rodrigo, you first.
4: Ouch. (laughs) Emily or
2: Bonnie? i it easy Emily. For Emily
4: okay. Elman is by far the greatest designer,
2: female <laughs> designer. Mark, how about you? That's all the like stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dan,
5: how
2: about you? April uh, Grimes. Okay. Bennett?
5: Lucille Tenazas.
6: Oh, of
2: course. Felix? Uh,
6: I would uh, hazard a Sharon Werner.
2: Okay. And, John, what about you? Um,
7: I'll say Noreen Morioka.
2: Oh, wonderful!
7: Hey, I'm uh, out. it's yes. English. Uh, my phone wasn't working a second ago. I'm
2: oh, bad. really? When you said Stefan Zagmeyer? No, phone. that was
7: someone else who said that. That was, oh. he was one of the bad boys. No, I've got a girl crush on Emily. Oh,
2: so he too,
7: Emily? Uh, no, but you know I love her. But I don't know. There's this gal in town named Jennifer who's pretty good. So I just wanted to pick someone that nobody knows because you can go to, to Polish, <laughs> yeah, or Emily or anybody else. There's okay, just else, for our listeners,
2: the Emily that we are all referring to. Including myself in my opening was Emily Oberman. Oh, I'm a different team. Oh, which Emily did you mean? Uh, Emily Kiss. Okay. <laughs> so you have all been known for doing really edgy and provocative work, and yet you also all do corporate work. Um, Rodrigo, you first. Um, which do you find harder to do? Uh,
4: I, I think it's uh, it really depends the project, but uh, more recently I have to say the the book work is is, is a little more difficult because it feels like it's continuously changing.
2: In what way? So,
4: uh, depending on the, the publishing house you're working with and combined with the needs of Barnes & Noble, which, uh, which seems to always factor in now more and more. Mm, What's happening
2: in consumer goods as well, where you have to think about what Walmart is going to think in addition to you know, what your average consumer is gonna yeah, really going to think. You really have to do good work.
4: Going back um, maybe only six years ago, seven years ago, that wasn't really an issue. But now it's definitely it's another factor to, to consider. Aside from an author, an agent, an editor, a publisher, we now have the the booksellers
2: yeah. who have a major opinion. So, do you feel like they're compromising the work?
4: Uh, it's it sometimes, sometimes, and sometimes it's actually for the better. Uh, but it can make such a difference. Where uh, a bookseller, a book buyer, can come to you and say, "If you don't change this package, we will not buy no more than two thousand copies. Versus, if you change it, we will buy ten thousand copies." Okay. So uh, it, it does it does impact your design. Do you feel compromised? Mm. Sometimes, yeah, but but you know, it, it really depends. It just depends on the on the project. Sometimes it's worth it. It's worth it to to get a a book out that's going to have you know it's going to have 300,000 copies. It might not be the best design possible, but you know, considering the circumstances and the expectations of the book, uh, it it can be pretty good. Do you have an example of a book that you could share with us wherein that happened? Uh, Most recently, I I, uh, worked on the follow-up book of James Fry, My Friend Leonard, which is a follow-up book. And overall, I I was really pleased with it, but it came down to having to put a national bestseller line on the book. Now mm. anybody listening might think like "What's the big deal in that but to me that just it just does complicates the design in a way that just it doesn't work with it yeah. I think it only adds another layer of sales that I'm not really interested in
2: yeah, it's like on packages when you see same look, brand new recipe or Same recipe, brand new look. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to need to take a commercial break. I'd like to let everyone know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman, and my guests today are the new bad boys of design, Rodrigo Corral, Mark English, Tan Lee, Bennett Pagey, Felix Tocqueville, and John Spolsky. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away.
7: (music) You're listening to The Bottom Line in Business
8: Talk, Voice America Business. Technology is only as good as its execution. On CIO Talk Radio, host Sung Jo Gaul will interview CIOs, CTOs, and other decision makers about their insights in dealing with technology. Learn directly from these subject matter experts on how to get the best returns out of your investment in IT. Know ahead of time what problems and challenges you face in executing IT strategies in the real world. If you are a technology manager, consultant, or advisor, you cannot afford to miss out on what today's technology thought leaders have to say about today's most urgent IT issues. Listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sung Jo every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.
0: You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker, The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the bottom line of business talk businessamericaradio.com
1: Think you've got a grip on the profit potential your property has? Tune in to VoiceAmerica.com Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Commercial Real Estate 101 with Dennis Manning. Dennis will teach you the ins and outs of the massive world of real estate. You will learn the rewards and pitfalls of why to invest in commercial real estate. You'll also hear from experts in property management, lending, title work, tax-deferred exchanges, legal issues, and many entrepreneurial investors. The best part? You'll learn to generate a regular income that will lead to enticing capital gains. So don't miss one moment of Commercial Real Estate 101 with Dennis Manning. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, right here on voiceamerica.com.
9: Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business.
1: Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now, back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back.
2: It is 318 Eastern Time, and you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my lovely guests today are the new bad boys of design, Rodrigo Corral, Mark English, Tanley, Bennett Pagey, Felix Dockwell, and John Sapolsky. If you'd like to join our conversation, and why wouldn't you, with these lovely gentlemen on the line, please call 1-866-233-7861. And before the break, we were talking about doing both edgy and provocative work and also doing successful corporate work. And I was curious um, about which might be more difficult. And Tan um, was wondering what you thought about that. What is more difficult for you, edgy provocative work or successful corporate work?
10: It's clearly successful corporate work. I mean, it's, um, you know, uh, kind of edgy provocative work. That's, That's doing work for yourself. That's doing work for other designers. You know, you get to, Pretty much have the sky's and limit, but corporate work, man, it's the art of war. It's 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 persuasion. It's it's strategy. It's uh, it's it's battle. It's uh it's going out there and basically you know rallying your own internal troops and and sort of engaging not only the, the clients and and showing them um, sort of your good ideas, but also um, sort of second guessing the marketplace itself. Um, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of push and give. And at the end, you know, everything blows up and you don't know what happened.
2: I know. I know. Now, you started your own firm. You worked for one of the world's biggest firms, Landor. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you're working for what I would call an it firm, Wong Duty. Um, aside from size, what do you think has been uniquely different about these experiences?
10: Uh, well, you know, there's the rewards of um, of uh, sort of that comes from ignorant bliss of running your own place and, you know, you don't know what you're doing and, and you kind of discover as you go along, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I get plugged into one of the world's largest network agency, and then the the scale of um, sort of engagements of clients and and, and internal teams is, is I mean it's a completely another league, and and you start to understand why you know all these fabled giant projects, uh, you know, branding projects that are, that are six seven figures. You start to understand why they cost that much, why they're that involved, why they're that complicated.
2: What is one of the most expensive projects you've ever worked on or contributed to?
10: Um, well, we did a uh, we did a uh, sort of a brand uh, development project for uh, Microsoft that was uh, you know well into seven figures, and uh, you know, but a big component of that was brand research, and um, you know, trying to come up with you know essentially what the market wants. And uh, in my experience, research is probably the most expensive component of any kind of uh, large-scale brand development.
2: Mark, what about you? Um, You've done quite a lot of work in the entertainment business. You've done corporate work as well. What do you feel is more difficult? Do you feel like it's it's easier being edgy or easier being corporate?
7: I think it's I think it's difficult to be corporate in the sense that, much like most people in the United States eat white bread, most People who run any kind of a business, whether it's a small mom-and-pop organization or even somebody as large as Microsoft, a lot of times they still try to play it safe and they are more reactionary than they are proactive. They want to be followers rather than leaders and it's difficult to pull any kind of a project through if if they want to take a a leadership stance. I I think the most frustrating things for me have been when I've sat down and we've gone through creative briefs and we've done the dog and pony show and the clients have said, yes you want to be industry leaders in this category, and then you've done your homework, you've done your due diligence, and you put it out there, and you're
2: like, well, not really. Yeah, I often talk about the time I was working with a company, and the CEO said that they were looking for a truly revolutionary change, you know, really change the game, flag in hand, charge forward. And what they meant by revolutionary change? After, of course, we showed them the first phase exploratory was going from light blue to dark blue, and this was not IBM, so therefore it was not really what I would consider to be a revolutionary. Well, that's change. That's,
7: that's part of the deal in any kind of business is an understanding of the evolutionary process and and bringing them from you know from one comfort level to the stretch level and and trying to move it out there. And, and businesses of all sizes are like that. But again, going back to my wife red theory, not everybody. Wants that healthy seven grain bread or another, but he wants to have a fine wine made out of grapes. They want to have grape jelly or grape juice. It's kind of figuring out what that is. And sometimes they'll come back to you later on, even after you've asked all the questions and give you more information that totally changes direction. And and I've I've heard what every level talk
2: about this problem. Now, you mentioned that you thought that Microsoft or a big company like Microsoft would play it safe, yet, Tan, correct me if I'm wrong, and I certainly very well may be, mm-hmm. um, I always have gotten the impression from the work that, that we've done with Microsoft that they really are trying not to play it safe. If, what has your experience been?
10: Um, well, Microsoft has more money than God, so they they can they can play it every which way possible, Right. but at the end of the day, um, it just, I mean, from my experience, you can do all the exploratory work you want, but the market is very slow to change, and they are the most responsive to the market.
7: Well, yeah, I think you're right. And, and one of the reasons I mentioned that, not that I've done any work from, from Microsoft, and not to name names, but let's just use a pseudonym a company called Pantygram, for instance. Um has, <laughs> has, has been doing some work with them. And from what I understand, it's 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 difficult uh, bringing those big ideas to light, and it's frustrating.
2: Now, Felix, you... Have really made a, a very successful career out of working as an independent illustrator, and yet you also co-founded what is considered, arguably, to be one of the best brand design brand consultancies um, in the United States, Brand Integration Group, part of Ogilvy and Mather. Um, how was that? How did you make that transition from illustrator to brand executive back to illustrator?
6: Interesting. Um, well, I, I sort of hit the ground at an awkward place. I I freelanced back in Ogilvy for another month and a half after I quit. And i sent out a couple of form letters, maybe 15 or 20 form letters to different hotels here in New York. i had some extensive work with with Starwood, and I I ended up snagging one of Pentagram's uh, old clients, the Meridian Hotel, Mm -hmm. Parker Meridian on 57th. And uh, was on retainer and was them for a year, mm-hmm. so they sort of
2: supplemented my rent
6: and uh, helped me uh, afford to get postcards for
2: my illustrations startup. Now, have you do you find that edgy, more provocative work is more difficult than corporate work, or vice versa?
6: Uh, corporate work's always tougher, um, but I have the luxury of not not reading any of the uh, demographics and the focus group studies. Um, so I I sort of come at it fresh when when the firm. I usually do freelance for these these identity firms and they just call me up last minute and uh, I just churn out stuff. A lot of it I've already finished and it just sort of me up <clears throat> it, But <clears throat> you know, it's 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 okay. They now in
2: your in your in your official bio, you say that you have managed to piss off a stadium full of boozed-up art directors. Give us one example of pissing off an art director. Oh, oh i got a good one. And especially if they're boozed-up and we want all the details, well, I please. Well, they're boozed-up, they're definitely high. <laughs> um, all right, details, please, details. This is Talk Radio.
6: Yeah, I did some uh, work this week for uh, James Victoria and I collaborated on this one, and also Thomas Duke. Did a little bit of work on it too, but uh, for Goodwill, uh,
2: people and, like Goodwill are boost up art directors.
6: No, no, the um, the agency that handles Goodwill—I'm not going to say any names—but they're in the Midwest, and they um, they hired me to do this thing, and, and um, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But at the end of the day, they 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 didn't think that I uh, I, I met the criteria for the assignment, so they sort of fired me. <laughs> and. Uh, how do you sort of get fired? <laughs> well, good cop, bad cop. You know, the creative Victor steps in and says uh, something, on, you know, anything on the phone is terrible because it's not official. So it, we, it's, this, it's this weird little political game you play where you try to get them to, to say things on the record so you have an account of it because you know something's going to happen weird. Once the, the bad blood starts going, so... Uh, you know I have a few tactics at some point uh-huh. I sent out uh, I sent out a letter to goodwill this morning uh, they're in their in their state and uh, showed them the work just so they know that uh, someone did something for them and, right on. Uh, I had uh, I had a little strategy written up for them and sort of walked them through my process because I definitely wasn't communicating with the three or four people in charge at that agency.
2: Mm-hmm. Felix off. Stockwell, ever the bad boy. Yeah,
6: well, oh. you, you've got. To, you know, when they refuse to pay the kill fee, you've got to resort to different measures, and, and uh, unfortunately, that's part of the part of the
2: game. Um, well, we have a couple more minutes till our break. So I just want to get this this question out of the way, Bennett. How about you? Provocative or corporate? Which is harder? Well,
5: um, actually. I have a radically different definition of AGM provocative since uh, as of a handful of years ago we've uh, really worked on public works projects, district branding. So, for instance, uh, we're taking a, a, a chain of grocery stores and a particularly bad one uh, in a city here called National City, and uh, it's in a blighted area of the, of the city, and we're using it as an anchor model project to uh, renovate it and, uh, and bring pride back to the neighborhood. And... Um, and uh, and it's been approved this week, and so we'll start the, the uh, construction of it in a couple of months. Uh, the other one's a Filipino village project. Some of you guys might know about. It's a 50 million dollar project that I'm the master planner on for the city. So, aging provocative to me means I'm kind of uh, completely as you know. I was trained as a traditional graphic designer. Been in the business for 18 years, but in the last handful of years, have decided that I wanted to take our branding experience. And use it for, uh, public works projects and, uh, and, uh, and lead, uh, the revitalization of our neighborhoods through, uh, through branding as opposed to physical construction. And so edgy means that uh, I may be driving the bus, but I'm paving the road as I go along because I, I haven't done it and no one in front of me has done it. And so I'm kind of making it up as I go along. The only thing I can say is, you know, I have the heart of the community, uh, because, uh, the, when, you know, We've all got our challenges with clients, but my clients are, of course, the mayor of the council and then every resident in the community. You know, they're all free to criticize whatever uh, I put out there, but uh, the design charrettes or public workshops that I put on, for instance, have as many as 300 people attend. And so, you know, um, the governments have a greater tendency to trust us because we're supposed to have, as a consultant, the pulse of the community At our fingertips, that's what they're 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 hiring us for. And if we miss it, you know, (laughs) that's a fifty million dollar project on our shoulders that we screwed up on. uh, Because uh, uh, basically, you know, the consultant is the one that's supposed to be making the recommendations to city government in terms of which way he should uh, go with that uh, redevelopment.
2: Well, I think um, no one would argue with me, Bennett, if I said that if there was a Nobel Prize for design, you would certainly win it. Um, I'd like to let everybody know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman, and my guests today are the bad boys of design, Rodrigo Corral, Mark English, Tan Lee, Bennett Pagey, Felix Sockwell, and John Sapolsky. We will come right back with our broadcast after these messages. John has very patiently been waiting so he can answer Ooh. our first question, so please don't go away.
9: When business is in your blood and you need answers, get connected. Call 1-866-233-7861.
8: Voice America Business.
9: Business talk is all we do. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
11: Tune in to Big Money with Mike Gaesher every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Mike will focus on the issues, needs, and problems affecting the world's largest investors. Join Mike and his guest from the institution investors industry as they discuss investing and controlling your money. Mike has spent his entire adult life in close proximity with the financial markets and has become one of the world's most sought-after teacher and speaker on topics of the securities, markets, and the economy. Author of eight books on the security markets and a monthly newsletter, letter read by over 250,000 people, Mike brings insights, humor, and clarity to this often secretive community. So tune in every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Big Money with Mike Gaeser on business.voiceamerica.com.
8: Are your accounts stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic? Are your finances flowing at two miles an hour? It's time to crank your cash into high gear by tuning in to Making Sense of Financial Nonsense with Bullseye Bruce Horowitz. Every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Bullseye Bruce will give you no-nonsense, common-sense financial advice that anyone can understand, as well as bring you clarity on some of the most complex and confusing financial issues today. So get out of that traffic jam and listen to Making Sense of Financial Nonsense every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom
9: line in business talk, Voice America Business. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business.
1: We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 1 866 233 7861. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman.
2: Broadcasting live from the Empire State Building in New York City, you are listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the Internet focusing on design, branding, and culture. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guests today are the bad boys of design, Rodrigo Corral, Mark English, Tan Lee, Bennett Pagey, Felix Sockwell, and John Sapalski. Now, We have a couple more questions, but um, I do want John to get in with his answer about provocative versus edgy, and I do hope we're not boring the listeners out there, as Mark suggested we might be. So, John, hit hit.
3: it. I guess for me, I'd I'd like to not really see a big distinction between provocative and corporate clients necessarily. Best answer yet. (laughs) I think back to when I wanted to become a designer uh, when I was maybe 10 years old and up until that point, had thought about being a painter um, mm. because I could draw when I was a kid, and that's what your parents tell you to do when you know how to draw as a kid. Really? And um, mine said like be an architect. <laughs> well, you had more <laughs> practical <laughs> parents than I did. Um, and that's why I'm in therapy. <laughs> well, but I really changed my mind in seeing this documentary on um, Walter Gropius and the founding of the Bauhaus, I guess, and really decided I wanted to make. Uh, things like electric fans and um, toasters and things that people would use in their houses every day, because only old ladies and kids on field trips went into museums to look at paintings that you could do. But if you created some things that were, in, in a way, more banal or mundane, um, you could actually reach a much broader audience and, and change their lives um, in subtler ways. And so I guess I'm still idealistic enough. Um, there's... There's a lot of that 10-year-old kid in me to think that you can work with corporate clients, and a lot of them really do want to change. Um, I think most executives today know that the marketplace is changing so fast that um, they really need to reinvent themselves very often. They need to take bold steps. They've really optimized their businesses um, as much as they can, and it's hard to continue growing their profitability by continuing to do that. Um, But it's just emotionally very, very difficult for um, for big teams of people to actually make that happen, and there's a lot of vested interests that get in the way. So in my work, I really try to work with um, with big corporate clients to get them to think about some of the assets that they might have with their business. Uh, if they're a big publisher like the New York Times, say um, to say, you know, what could you actually be besides just being a newspaper? You have um, you know relationships with smart um, Pretty affluent customers out there, and that's really worth something. And uh, we can use design as a way to think about new products that you can create, or ways that you can deepen those relationships that actually grow your business in significant ways. Uh, well, that that influence culture quite a lot as well. So I like to see those things as, as um, you know, not not in opposition.
2: Um, gentlemen, does somebody have rock and roll music on in the background?
7: Rock and roll, never.
2: <laughs> I seem to hear this <laughs> soundtrack coming through. Hey, I
7: that um, coming from the Empire State. <laughs> <No.
3: laughs>
2: well, okay. Way well, well, listeners, let me let me put this to you. Um, I was planning on asking a very um, erudite question, I I think, um, last week. As many people might remember, I talked about Milton Glazer and the experience that I had in his class all of last week. And one of the exercises that he asked us to um, do during the class was to try and remember the first time we had a notion that we wanted to be artists or designers and to try to remember that very, very first deep, deep memory. And so I, I wanted to pose that question to the bad boys today, and then I, I think it might have been Tan who fought back quite a little bit and said, we're bad boys. Who wants to answer that question? I think the listeners probably really want to know when was the last time or the first time we used to fuck in a client meeting. So I think I'm going to go with that question instead. Um, Tan, how about you first? Coming from Landor? when was the, the, the first or last time you um, used the word fuck in a meeting?
10: Um, actually, it was uh, I was I was doing a, a profile book actually for another um, design firm, um, an interactive agency, and um, you know so here we here I am doing design work for a designer, which God I should have known would have been to tell. Um So we're you know we're we're talking through this book and I'm trying to get the stuff out and you know do you think another designer would understand more than a than a client? But uh, she kept pushing back, she, you know, <laughs> she started uh, messing around with, um, you know, our print quotes and everything else, and, you know, my, my uh, senior designer was just completely exasperated. We, we were about to give up the project when, you know, I was on the phone trying to appease her, and I, I just couldn't figure out what else to say. And so I finally said, hey, you know what, please let us do our job and stop fucking around with the project.
2: Ah, oh. so, what happened you know, when you said that?
10: Silence. <laughs> silence on the other line and silence from, uh, uh, I, was on, I was on a conference call, and uh, silence from the, you know, the group internally in the table and she went back on and of course she was a little bit uh, shocked and sort of outraged that I would set that and said, well, you know, it's our money and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, at the end of the day. Oh, she paid the money card. Yeah, she oh. told me this because there's nothing else she could do but she knew I was right so mm-hmm. she, she did stop fucking around with the project and we got a very successful project out of it but, I, I don't, she never really forgave me for that, so.
2: Really? Rodrigo. Well, what about you? When was the first or last time you used the word stuck in a meeting? The, the last time, and probably,
4: probably the first, and the last time was, uh, I was I was working at, a, at for a publisher, and, uh, and I was there for maybe three months, maybe four at most, and uh, the publisher calls me into his office, asks me to have a seat. I knew something was up, but I wasn't quite sure what it was, and uh, he says, uh, you know, Things aren't going to work out. And throughout the whole three months, I just had a feeling that just things were not going to work out between uh, the publisher being very overbearing and, and, the, and the marketing director being overbearing. It, it just, the signs were, were, were pretty clear. Well, you sit down and tell me things are not going to work out, and I'm pretty, pretty, kind of surprised. And uh, I just, I was pretty speechless, so I felt like, okay, I'm out of this job, so what do I got to lose? So as I was walking out, I just said, fuck yourself.
2: Oh, my God.
4: <laughs> Rodrigo. <laughs> You're talking even to bad boys. <laughs> and that was it. And I was like, what do I got to lose? I've just been fired, so and I've got a nice severance out of it. So, oh, what the hell? It's already been signed.
7: <laughs> I, I don't know. I've, I've got a story from the other angle. I don't know. Maybe 10 years ago I developed the potty mouth. Maybe it's because of, like, you, Debbie, uh, you work late and say, you know, why don't I have a wife home doing my ironing and all that stuff? But, uh, I guess about a year ago, James Victoria and I were in Tijuana at this lecture, and, and he's motherfucker this and motherfucker that, and he, motherfucker, motherfucker. And, I, and he says motherfucker, and I just say fuck. And motherfucker sounded that much more vulgar than <coughs> fuck. So I said, wait a minute, I should back off a little bit, because I remember doing a talk in Baylor a number of years ago. They brought me in to kind of help burst the bubble. And introduce people to the real world. And I really backed down my cursing to, well, there's maybe two or three fucks, maybe one or two sucks. And I always ask people to email me afterwards to, you know, give me some comments on the, on, on my talk. And to a person, they all said it shows that you're you're less intelligent and you're uneducated. And my response to them all was, you know, much like um, our last guy here is, say fuck them. But I remember they also talked to a group up in Oklahoma was high school students, and they're parents and grandparents, and I did say damn once, and I, and I really bit my tongue the whole time, and, and it kind of worked.
2: Well, actually, I have some very good alternative words to um, damn or damn it. When, and something about boys and cursing I find very intriguing. I think that, in general, men tend to have slightly dirtier mouths than women. Is nab sexy? No, <laughs> no, Well, so when well, my brother, Josh, was a very, very little boy, he's 25 years old now, but when he was a very little boy, I guess he'd heard either me or my other, my, my older brother or my dad, somebody say, damn it, and he sort of got hooked on that, you know, like two or three years old. And, you know, he wouldn't get his way, and he'd say, damn it. <laughs> and we were told, he, we, he was told by my father, and in no uncertain circumstances could he use that word, damn it. So he came up with two alternatives that we still use to this day. He had navit. Which I thought was very cute, and damo. So now sometimes you know, I'll stub my toe or something will happen. And I'll be like, damo or navit, and I feel like that's just as just as satisfying as saying fuck.
7: Were you freaking kidding me? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hence the differences between men and women. Although I do tend to have a bit of a potty mouth as well. Birthday, uh, No, I didn't. I think Felix, that might have been you. Uh, actually,
10: on uh, there's a television show on uh, sci-fi, um, Battlestar Galactica. And, uh, love it, it love it, 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 love it It's funny, it's like to Oh, frackers Right, they, they substitute the word fuck with frack Right So all of a sudden now frack has become this sort of uh, vernacular, um, you know, funny cuss word
2: yeah, it's really funny to hear them say, what the frack? We but, are still fracked. No, but, you know, it's interesting how we designate meaning with words. You know, if it were, if frack really had the resonance or the meaning of the word fuck, it would sound very, very different and it would be a much heavier kind of word, whereas because it has no association with anything, it really could mean anything. And it's interesting the, the way that we put certain references into words. Um, Felix, you didn't tell us. First or last time you used fuck in a meeting. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I can't say I've ever
6: remembered using it. Um, dumbass. I call people that a few times. Um, <laughs> I, you know, What's more I, offensive, fuck or dumbass, I wonder? I, you know, I, I try to do everything with email.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: So I, I, I tend to try to choose my words um, when things get awry like that. But, um, you know, I try to. I play it safe when it
2: comes to telling the client to fuck off. Mm, Bennett, John, what about you? And then we have to go to commercial break.
5: Yeah.
2: Well, Happily. Hanging out Thankfully. with the boys, you know,
5: we'll use it. But just for a, a little ed- education, since I'm Filipino, I'll, give, I'll teach you guys the uh, Tagalog, the Filipino language version of, uh, of, of fuck. Oh, Here's, joy! Ready? <laughs> yeah. right. we're what? And, uh, if you're, uh, as you said, we all have, uh, meetings associated. If you're uh, in a circle of uh, Filipino community leaders, uh, you will definitely be stoned. Well,
2: There's somewhere, that. somewhere Milton Glazer is shaking in front of his drafting table with the alternative question uh, I've posed you as opposed to what I'd I had originally intended. We're not the bad boys. You're bad, you? <laughs> <the sad> boy. <laughs> well, I have to let everyone know that they're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman, and my guests today are the bad-mouth boys of design Rodrigo Corral, Mark English, Kenley Lee, Felix Stockwell and John Sapolsky. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages so please don't go away.
9: More and more people are starting their day with informative focused business talk. Top experts. Today's business issues. Voice America business at voiceamerica.com
0: what
11: stock should I buy?
0: When is it time to sell? Where do I turn for honest advice on my portfolio? For the answers to these questions, tune in to Trading in Today's Markets with Oliver L. Velez and Greg Capra every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific time. On the show, Oliver, Greg, and their guests will discuss the daily going-ons of Wall Street, as well as give you tips on how to identify the hottest sectors and trends in the market. Improve your portfolio. Listen to Trading in Today's Markets with Oliver Alvarez and Greg Capra. Broadcast live on Business America Radio every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time.
9: Business talk is all we do. Voice America Business at VoiceAmerica.com.
8: Are your accounts stuck in bumper to bumper traffic? Are your finances flowing at two miles an hour? It's time to crank your cash into high gear by tuning in to Making Sense of Financial Nonsense with Bullseye Bruce Horowitz. Every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Bullseye Bruce will give you no-nonsense, common-sense financial advice that anyone can understand, as well as bring you clarity on some of the most complex and confusing financial issues today. So get out of that traffic jam and listen to Making Sense of Financial Nonsense every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. voice america business tune in every tuesday at 8 a.m pacific time for the growth strategist with aldona ambler on the show Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you the business owner back Aldana will also give you twenty one ways to grow with her list of growth strategies grow smart grow profit and grow your business with Aldana ambler and the growth strategist every tuesday at 8 a.m pacific time Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.
9: Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business.
1: Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now, back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.50
2: Eastern time, and you're listening to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guests today are the bad boys of design, Rodrigo Corral, Mark English, Tanley, Benapagy, Felix Stockwell, and John Sapolsky. And gentlemen, we have a caller on the line, Lisa from New York. Welcome to Design Matters.
7: Hello, Lisa. Hi, everybody.
2: After the, right before the break, that conversation, I'm almost scared to ask my question, make it sound so serious, but I'll try. Please, please add some seriousness to this conversation. <laughs> Well, because all of you bad boys um, have reputations in the business and you feel pressure to maintain the bar, would this cause you to not take on certain jobs or work with specific types of clients? Like, Who would you not work for? Uh,
3: For me, that's more of an ethical question than too much worrying about my reputation. I personally wouldn't be too interested in working um, for military clients or, um, I don't know, maybe for big pharma.
2: And John, that, this is John speaking. Yes. Why is that? Um, I mean, I know the obv- you know some of the obvious reasons, but you yeah. tell us what you why why you personally wouldn't. Um,
3: for me, I don't really find um, that the the products of of either of those industries to be very consistent with um, with my own goals for myself and um, in creating change or designing great products. I think it's. Um, I mean one there's a there's a moral challenge that I would have to that just based on my own
2: um, politics, but I also think it wouldn't
3: be especially interesting work
2: for uh, Thank you, Lisa from New York That's a great question, general. what about the rest of you
7: you know i'm going to kind of go a little bit against John only because he mentioned the military just because something came up recently where there was a call from the Pentagon to do some work and and I would never serve a day in the military in my life. Um, my dad has my grandfather has all my, all my uncles and Etc. But I figured that's the least I could do. And not that I support the war in Iraq or, or Vietnam when I was a kid, or many of these other things. But that would be for me a no-brainer to yeah to do that. What I I would never do any cigarette packaging. I remember giving the assignment a number of years ago. Where I had students design cigarette packaging, and they came in with a full comp. So I lit them all on fire and said, "You've all failed an ethical question." And you know that, that's that's kind of where it draws the line. But there's some companies that just love to do work for. Um, liquor and booze and and x-rated films
2: and what is the problem with booze and x-rated films just out of curiosity not that I'm an advocate for them I'm just
7: wondering why you would make that there's there's a fellow I met a number of years ago who worked for a company I believe out of Philadelphia and that was their only client base because so many people didn't want to go into those now I drink alcohol I I've had sex so I don't know where you draw the line with x-rated stuff but uh I guess it all depends, but I think to go back to what John said, it becomes an ethical question and where people draw their own line. I mean, for instance, there was a time when I didn't eat veal or, or was against fur, but you know what? I wear leather boots and leather jackets and I eat cheeseburgers. So you kind of have to draw your line and know where you can go to when you can go to sleep at night. I'd
3: also add that I, I tend to really think of it much more on a, on a project by project basis too. I mean, even for a, a military client. Um, which I just said I probably wouldn't take a project with. It would really depend on the project. You know, if it's about, um, in some way, making the military a little bit more humane uh, in the way that they uh, take care of, um, of their targets or of uh, the people that work for them, um, then it might be w- more worthwhile doing. Um, right, that would be cool. This, um, you know, just something to foster an end that I think is, is primarily driven by greed or evil.
2: Milton's twelve steps to hell, so to speak. Yeah. Rodrigo, what about you? Uh, I'd be game for
4: for designing pornography if it's, it's, uh, it's <laughs> presented itself. <laughs> Let's fuck <park> off, <up>, why?
2: <laughs> why? am I not surprised? Somebody out there
4: listening? <laughs> you can reach me at two one two. Yeah, I'd be I'd be, you I'd be get, I'd get be, a phone call from Sam Butts. I'd be game for pretty much anything. I just. Uh, I love, I love designing so much, but uh, I'm a dad, I've got a family, and, and um, I just think I'd be game for pretty much anything that's presented. Um, I highly doubt I'll ever be called to design something for the military or tobacco, but if I was, I, I think I'd give it a shot.
2: Okay. Think, yeah. Good to know. Um, well, gentlemen, it's time for one of the show's weekly features, um, my pop culture quiz, and this is a part of the broadcast where I ask my guests some questions about things that are going on right now, personally, or off-the-cuff topics I'm just curious about, and we're going to have to do this kind of quickly since there's so many of you. Um, but um, what defines a man more, his drink or his drive? Rodrigo? Drink.
5: Mark? Oh, Drive. Ken. Drive. Bennett. Absolutely drive. Or did you say, what does he drive?
2: No, what does he defines <laughs> a man more, his drink or his drive? His uh, so drive,
5: ambition, his passion.
2: Uh, Felix. He's drinking while driving. <laughs> and, John. and John. And uh, John. I'll say drink. Okay. Angelina or Jennifer? Rodrigo, you first. Oh, jeez, it depends.
4: If I want to go out to eat, I'm going to take Jennifer. But if I want to be home, I want to hang out with Angelina.
2: (laughs) Mark. I'll go with the lips. Ken.
10: Oh, definitely Angelina.
2: Bennett.
5: Same here, here, Angelina. Felix. Angelina's a little used up at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I I go with Brad. You
2: never can tell. (laughs) Sean. I'll go for the A. Okay. What was the name of your first kiss? Rodrigo. Oh, boy. Dana. Mark. Lisa Aurelio, sixth grade. Can.
7: Ann
2: Bennett.
5: Tamara. Felix. Claudia Schnitzinger. John.
3: <laughs> uh, her name is Inda. I was 12 years old and she was 19 and it was in a cemetery <laughs> in
6: France.
2: And, wow. Bad boy. Who would play you in the movie of your life? Rodrigo. Wow. Good question. Next. Uh, we'll come back no. to you, Mark. <laughs>
7: oh, it has to be uh, Mad Max yeah, or Mel Gibson or Tom Cruise. Okay, no, not Tom, no, Tom Cruise, no, Tom Hanks. Tom Cruise is a jerk. Tom Hanks.
2: Tom Hanks playing Marking. Well, you know, come on, he's a good actor. I don't think so. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's a good actor, but I don't see the connection. Yeah, um, but this, this is the part of the questions where I can't really have a judgment, so I'm going to pull that one back. Can what about you?
5: Jackie Chan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Bennett. Oh, man, I, uh, I really am at a loss. Oh, see, now I know who it is, but I can't remember the man's name. He was the man that was involved with Julia Roberts before she got married. A really, really sexy man. Benjamin Brad.
3: Benjamin Brad. Benjamin, Brecht.
2: Benjamin Brecht, oh, Thank you, you very go. much. Thank you. I am honored. Thank you. Felix, what about you? Um, let's go with Sideshow Bob. Okay. And John?
3: Uh, maybe Joe Pantoliano.
2: Oh, very nice. And Rodrigo, we're well, back to you. You missed the question.
3: Uh, Brian Ray.
2: (laughs) Okay. Last pop culture quiz question. What's the scariest thing you've ever consumed? Fear factor. Be damned. Rodrigo. Wait. I'm sorry. I didn't catch that question. The scariest thing you've ever consumed? Fear factor. Be damned.
7: Mm, Tequila. Okay. (laughs) Smart. There was this Berber woman in the Atlas Mountains of northwest Africa. I'll just leave it there.
2: Okay, thank you. Tan? <laughs> uh,
5: I've got that.
2: Excuse me? Oh, excuse me. okay, thank
5: you. I hope the people at Landor are listening. Bennett? Kuwaiti uh, at Machu Picchu in Peru. And close uh, second would be uh, live ant tacos in central Mexico.
2: Okay, you're going to win this contest.
5: Felix? Yeah, uh, I'll say what he said.
3: Okay, John? Uh, ten Dish-wise, diluted in dishwashing dish detergent.
2: And why did you do that?
3: Um, I think to impress a girl. Oh,
2: how cute. Well, isn't that nice? We, start out, we end the way we started out, all about girls. Um, well, gentlemen, we've come to the end of the broadcast so sadly. I'd like to thank you all for being such marvelous and dirty-mouth guests. Rodrigo Corral, Mark English, Tan Lee, Bennett Pagy, Felix Sockwell, and John Slausi. i sorry. I would also like to thank the kind people at Voice America Business, Denise Dion, Chris Hilliard, Robert Arkin, my production manager, Ruben Colombe, and my executive producer, Brian Travis. I'd also like to thank the staff and my partners at Sterling Brands, my vetching producer, Lisa Grant, and my chief researcher, Jen Simon. My dear friend who's sitting right next to me and has been joining me for the entire show, John Fulbrick III. Thank you for listening, and remember, we can talk about making a difference, or we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next week.
1: Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Moist America Business.